Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is uh, American comedian, commentator, uh, actor, and uh, all-around uh, beetle nut, uh, John Fugelson. <laughs> and I'm, John, it's a pleasure to have you here. I've been on your show a couple of times. I'm just happy to get you here so we could talk a little bit about Beatles, Beatles and the Bible. Ah, right on. Okay. <laughs> Things I like to geek out on. Thank you, Mr. Karam. What a pleasure. <laughs> so stick around. We've got to take a break and pay the bills, and we'll be right back. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. With me is John Fugel saying, John, I, I guess I'll start out asking you this. Um, it's hard these days to uh, separate politics from everything in life. But how, how, how do you uh, how do you look at the new administration with uh, Joe Biden? I at mean, you know, it's a good question. I'll I'll always prefer a tourniquet to bleeding out on the sidewalk. So in that sense. Uh, I'm very grateful for this tourniquet of an administration. It was a very, you know, most most people I've talked to, Joe Biden wasn't their first choice or their second or their third. Uh, and yet uh, I never, I think maybe Biden's greatest achievement was getting so many liberals so excited to uh, vote for him. But, um, you know, 4,813 migrant children at the border were reunited with their families or were placed into care awaiting their, their families to come back in the first hundred days. Yeah. Um, he reversed, I think, 62 Trump orders in the first 100 days. Uh, you know, it, it's a Democrat. So we know it's going to be a lot of broken hearts. We know it's going to be, you know, um, a, a lot of a lot of dashed hopes. Uh, the Republicans are the champions of bad ideas. And the Democrats are the champions of saying, yes, terrible idea. Can we do that? So um, my thoughts are very complicated. I, I admire Joe Biden as a man more than I ever thought I would. But as you know, the Democratic Party is sort of like Clark Kent without a phone booth. Um, they're, they're sort of like an SNS yeah. who forgot their safe word and keeps getting beaten up. And when you see this kind of struggle go on, just to be able to have a majority vote. I mean, the filibuster struggle is just humiliating. Something that was never put in the constitution, something the founders never planned on, something that was actually used for racism. to shut John Quincy Adams up because he was complaining about slavery so much yeah. in the Congress. And, and that is the thing that is the reason why every election we've ever been part of since we were in grade school, the majority wins. American Idol voting, the majority wins. Why is it that in the US Senate, that's not true? There the filibuster is king. And it's what allows these Congress people to, these senators to do nothing, to sit on their hands, to shirk responsibility, to not answer tough questions. 
and, and they don't even have to do a real filibuster. You just send an email saying, no, I'm, I'm, filibuster. I'm, I'm filibustering. It's, it's not like Mr. You know, Smith goes to Washington where you have to stand up and, until you pass out and, and filibuster. Which, which Biden just, tried to do. Biden wanted to bring back the talking filibuster, yeah. which I would get behind. I think the American people deserve to see what their taxes are paying for, whether that's executions, whether that's Supreme Court deliberations, or whether it's a senator talking for 14 hours to make sure that we can't even have a vote. You know, like like background checks. After Newtown, 90% approval. Right. For extended, that's more popular than Christmas, but we weren't allowed to even have a vote on it because of this procedural gimmick that is supposed to stimulate debate, but it doesn't. It, it shuts just, down debate. Is it, yeah, it just creates more gridlock. Well, you know, you, you talk about the Democrats and, and the Republicans in that sense. I've always said that one is a party of no heart and one is a party of no head. And um, it, it, I don't understand why we don't amend the filibuster rule. Maybe we'd be oh. filibustered. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, you know, uh, privately funded elections, the square root of all of our problems, money and politics. Yeah, that's why. I mean, someday we'll know who was paying Kirsten Cinema and who was paying Joe Manchin. You know, I'm, I mean, let me but go out with them and guess insurance companies and coal industry, maybe, uh, to, to block this thing and keep this anti democratic relic going. But people are suffering right now. And you'll notice they have no problem using the filibuster to, to, to confirm judges. Yes. But when it comes to actually fixing our crumbling bridges and airports and railways, then they use it to block anything. So what are we going to leave our, our, our grandkids here? Uh, federal judges with crumbling roads, bridges, and infrastructure? A That's third world terrible. nation run by uh, lunatics is what yeah. I mean, I, to me, one of the most fascinating things over the last 40 years of politics, and I blame, I really do blame, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan for a lot of this. I mean, he started it, uh, and it was, well, and the roots of it were Nixon's Southern strategy yeah. to win. But Reagan really doubled down and, and created the kind of state that we have today, the divisiveness. And I look back at some of the things that we have not accomplished. And if you look at 40 years ago, when you had transatlantic, you know, transatlantic flight on the Concord, you had the highest, you know, our, our rail system was in much better shape. Our highway system was just being finished. Today, it's all crumbling. I, I, I go overseas, and there are many countries that have much better service and much oh, better yeah. infrastructure than the U.S. We're teetering on a third world, you know, um, it, it's, it's dystopian to me. Yeah, and they're laughing at us. Our, our allies laugh at our decrepit airports and railways and crumbling bridges. And again, it's, it's deliberate. It's by design. It's not an accident. Someone decided it should be this way. And, and this is... To what end is what it is it just for money in the pocket? Yeah, we were founded by slave owners who wanted to be free, <laughs> and that, they that felt should that, go on a T-shirt somewhere. Actually, well, I mean, George Carlin said it better, but you know, they also yeah. felt that they should be the only ones to vote. White land-owning males, right? And since the founders, every advancement in voting rights has never been given; it has been fought for. For anyone beyond a rich white male to vote, that's been a struggle, and it still is to this day. We are a country that is drunk on our own propaganda, and uh, you know it's what keeps us from being decent. What do you? It, that brings me to uh, politics and and the Bible. Uh, it keeps us from being decent. Yet, however, 
when I go out into the hinterlands or outside of DC and talk to people, they're convinced that we're a God-fearing nation and uh, vested in Jesus Christ. And I can't find anything in Christ's teachings that in any way supports the Republican agenda. There is not. There, there is not at all. They, you know, they say Jesus is their savior. He's actually their mascot. And he might just be their prop. Um, they say they want a government based on Christian values. And I say, sign me up. Because, you know, I vote for Jesus, Brian. Uh, you should know this. I, every year I do a write-in. Uh, I do a write-in for Jesus. Because I think, you know, why not? Think about the most hardcore right-wing conservative people in your life. Wouldn't they love to cut out the middleman and just vote for Jesus of Nazareth? Wouldn't, wouldn't your fundamentalist Christian loved ones, you know, or that guy on Facebook, whomever, wouldn't they love to vote for Jesus, a peaceful, radical, nonviolent revolutionary who hung around with leprosippers and crooks, who never spoke English, was not an American citizen, was anti-capitalism, anti-wealth, anti-death penalty, anti-public prayer. Yes, he was. Matthew 6, 5, yes, anti-public prayer. Yes. Never anti-gay. Pray in never, never mentioned abortion. Never called, never technically came out against premarital sex. Never called the poor lazy, never said torture's okay sometimes, never fought for tax cuts for the wealthiest Nazarenes, and was a long-haired, brown-skinned, that's in Revelation, brown-skinned, homeless, community organizing, unarmed, anti-slut-shaming, liberal Palestinian Jew. But that's only if you believe what's actually in the Bible. Bible. And I, 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 my favorite thing to do is to thump Bible thumpers with the Bible because usually they've never read it. And um, it goes to show that some of the most wonderful Christians I've ever known are atheists, and some of the most godless heathens I've ever known are believers. Uh, that is in the Bible, too, about the Antichrist. That I mean, if you've, if you've read the Bible, it warns against those who preach it but don't know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, liberals say Trump's the Antichrist. No, Trump is not the Antichrist, but Christ is the anti-Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Trump is just a, I, I always, people thought of him as a cause. I always look at him as a symptom. I don't think he was, yeah. I, I, I think he, we created Trump. We made him possible. And one of the things I've noticed. I, think, I actually think he, he's a, he's a quack treatment you take for a symptom instead yeah. of addressing the actual cause. <laughs> Which causes additional pain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like getting drunk to cure being high. Um, <laughs> but, uh, one of the, and, but one of the byproducts of politics today and Trump and the GOP is that, and, and I'll, I'm going to reflect back on something that Eric Swalwell told me on this show a couple of weeks ago when I was interviewing him. He said he walked into a bathroom one day during the impeachment hearings and Ted Cruz said, hey, you're really doing great out there. Keep it up. And, and he realized at that point in time that the GOP didn't treat their constituents as constituents, they treated them as fans. So yeah. they go out and they say what they think their fans want to hear. Always. And not necessarily what they need to hear. Always. Yeah, and that to me is the problem in politics today. And, and boy, there's a, there's a biblical reflection in that and what Jesus taught, but um, it's the idea that you go out and tell your constituents exactly what they want to hear in order to get their vote. That's all it is. And, and they're not even fans. They are children to be placated to the GOP. Just, just you know, tell them the right words so they'll go back to bed or, or watch their, their show. Um, and, and they don't, 
they're not a party of public service. You know, I, I, I ask them all the time because I love talking to conservative folk and I always ask them, what is something the Republican Party has done for non-millionaires? I, I don't mean a tax cut for rich people where a little trickles down the year. Right. I mean, what's something they've done just for non-millionaires since Nixon and the earned income tax credit? I mean, you could maybe say the Americans with Disabilities Act, but that was bipartisan. Bush just that was signed. a bipartisan, yeah, yeah. So I always say, what have Republicans done for non-millionaires? You know, and folks have never thought about it because you you get a lot farther just telling people what they want to hear, and that's very seductive to people. Every president we've ever had has always appealed to the better angels of our nature, right? Even Bush, who I I, I still think history may record as being a worse president than Trump. Um, because- uh, You're about the second Bush. The, first, the second Bush, yes. The first uh, Bush is right there too, but- uh, The first Bush was just a bad, listen, the worst thing Trump did was make W look good. And the worst thing W did was make his father look like Obi-Wan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like every one of them, you know, talks about how good we can be. You know, what we can do if we work together how good we can, how much good is ahead of us if we can just tap into the goodness in ourselves. Trump was the first guy to come along and say, hey folks, look at me. I'm a big racist millionaire at birth asshole and I'm rich. Look how awesome I am banging models and getting away with it. And I'll tell you who to blame, poor brown people at the border. That's really seductive. Telling people you're okay just the way you are. I mean, yeah. that's the essence of, of maybe a, a loving boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. But in terms of a civic society, it's very seductive. And, and that's all he was. Trump supporters were the tragic girl at a frat party being lied to by the brutish, uh, drunken trust fund rat. Yeah, and I've always said Matt Gates was the guy at, at, who, who belongs to the frat who bought his date to the party and they all stole his date from him. You know, I, I've always said Matt Gates is the guy that your roommate invites to the dorm room party and then he stands over there in the corner like screaming really loud, healthcare is a privilege, not a right. And by the end of the party, you he's the last one there crying because no one likes him and he can't get a date. And you realize you hate your roommate for inviting well, this dude. That's Matt Gates. He gets a date with a girl that nobody wanted. Uh, what's her I, name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Matt Gates is he's hit bottom so many times. He's 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 fracking. He's legally fracking. He's hit rock bottom so hard. I mean, Matt Gates yeah. is so juvenile. He sent a Venmo to himself. <laughs> Matt Gates is so juvenile. He ended up with Marjorie Taylor Greene running away from their own press conference. But <laughs> oh man, Lady Blah Blah. Let's talk about that. You know, when God closes a Donald Trump comedy door, he opens a Marjorie Taylor Greene comedy window. <laughs> yeah, that's. You know, what's funny about that is you, you joke about that, but everything that you've just said does remind me a little bit of what George Carlin said. They just want you smart enough to operate the machinery. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. They don't want critical thinkers. They don't they don't want a, an informed civic society. They want consumers. And, and, you know, they don't want you to realize how badly you've been getting screwed by their agenda for years and years. But they also know they're losing. The Republican Party has, yes. and again, I'm not a Democrat, full disclosure. I've never been a Democrat. I've never belonged to a political party, but. Full disclosure, I'm a reporter and I give shit to everybody. That's, that's the way it should be. You have to, I'm a comedian, you have to. Well, there there you go. That's the other thing. I It pisses me off when people go, well, you're, you're left or you're, just because I disagree with what you say, doesn't mean I absolutely agree with what they say. Oh, you're a leftist now if you can spell the word you're correctly. I mean, you're a leftist now if you accept science, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it makes you think we're in the Middle Ages again. It's like medieval times with technology. 
but it's always been that way. Fascism always demonizes smart people. All every culture, I mean, the Khmer Rouge would kill you if you wore glasses because they thought it meant you were educated. So it's like, you know, Dan Quayle did this. I mean, the academic elite, intellectual elite. I'm like, don't you want the smartest people in charge of things? No. And people said they like George Bush because, you know, he's like one of us. I'm like, one of you. So it's just tribe, it's just tribalism. It's, it's yeah. not about having a, a successful society. Well, that and, goes back to what you said about Christianity. The teaching that we are the world, we're together, we're all one is not part of the of the GOP. Not at all. I mean, not only does, does God endorse multiculturalism, I'm pretty sure God created multiculturalism. But, you know, it, <laughs> that, and that speaks to the immigration business. Like, there is nothing that makes a Christian angrier than to remind them that there are no laws in the Bible about borders or immigration. Uh, I'm pretty sure if there is a God, he or she doesn't really give a damn about the invisible lines we've created in the ground to separate our tribes. Yes. I'm pretty sure God doesn't have anything invested in the borders we made up that you can't see from heaven. And yet, you know, swarthy brown people are to be abused. And the guys who outsourced your job to China are on TV telling you to blame those brown men outside Home Depot trying to get day labor work for your, uh, sorry, for for uh, for your uh, job being outsourced to China. Well, uh, you know, and that's the, I mean, the border, the border racism works beautifully. Donald Trump is a guy who's hired undocumented immigrants going back to the 80s. And refused to pay them too, but. Yeah, and he still hires them now. Donald Trump outsourced his manufacturing to Mexico and China, but he's, he ran on, on bringing back our jobs and, you know, it, it, it just, you tell them the opposite and, and they'll believe it and you play to their prejudices. And Donald Trump showed how easy it is for a dumb guy who's famous enough to do this. Yeah, it, you know, th there's the other Carlin saying, think about how stupid the average American is and realize that more than half of them are dumber than that. Right, like, like illegal immigration. I don't trust either political party on this issue because um, you want to end undocumented workers, you, it's really simple. You start locking up the white people who do the hiring. Yeah, it's Done, right. There's, there's no wall you can build, Brian, that's large enough to hide the gigantic help wanted sign at our border. You don't need to build a wall, you need to take down the help wanted sign, but well, they won't do it because exploiting marginalized labor, primarily of brown people, has literally been the way this country's operated its economy since slavery. Well, and, yes. You know, you take a look, there's um, uh, 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 Smiley Butler, I believe, is the former- Smiley Butler, War is yeah. a Racket. But yeah, war, yeah, war is a racket. And you go back to that. This is when I, I laugh, this is one of the things that angered me about uh, the current administration, is they're putting together a select group to decide, to try and look at the root causes of the problems of immigration. It's as simple as our foreign policy and the fact that the fact that our businesses created the, the entire environment. Yeah. Even down to the, the illegal drug trade. There, there's an illegal drug trade and a lot of money south of the border because there's a demand for the drugs in the United States. That's it. I mean, these 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 Central American refugees, they're they're fleeing the violence of our drug war. Yeah. I, you know, and I was down the I drugs I, won, I, by the way. I got news that? for you. The drugs won the drug war. I was down doing um, stand-up in El Salvador and Honduras a couple years back for the troops. We have military bases in El Salvador and Honduras. Indeed, yeah. we do for the drug war. 
And in Honduras, the US Air Force Base um, was made of wood. Uh, it was temporary. And most of the buildings were made of wood. And now, decades later, the base was being eaten by termites. If you look into a, one of the lights, into the, into the dish over the light, you would see the bodies of dead termites all over the place. And I thought, there's a metaphor I can get high on. <laughs> we're still down there fighting the Reagan's drug war. And Reagan, ironically, was maybe the last president to tell the truth about immigration. Reagan stood for open borders. His yeah. words, he said they should be able to come here and work and then go home. Reagan used the word amnesty proudly and gave them all citizenship. And boy, man, it's not the Ebola, it's the amnesia that's the greatest airborne virus in this country. Well, we don't remember willful it ignorance. Yeah. yeah, willful ignorance. I mean, just being unable to come to grips with, come to grips with our own past on so many levels. That's why I find it, your job fascinating because it's not just the politicians who have to play dumb to placate the audience that they believe their audience to be, but the journalists do it too. And I mean, sitting, in a, with, sitting me in a room with Peter Doofy and like watching how these halfwits have to pretend to be quarter wits to appease their audience. I mean, it's it's maddening to me, but I can only imagine what it's like for you in the room. It's frustrating for me on a number of levels because there are some that are not willfully ignorant in the press. They are dangerously and authentically ignorant. Yeah. And they, I, I mean, there are people in that press room that don't, I had someone come up to me and, and I, I said, well, look, this is how it was done when I got here and Helen and Sam, you know, this is how Mark and they go, who's Helen, you know, yeah, of course, of course. and if you don't know the history, hell, they don't even, they don't even know who the Brady briefing room is named for. And of course. it, that to me is uh, uh, frightening on a, on a, just a whole different level. Oh yeah. And they will look down at, you know, they think they know everything and they know nothing. And yeah, well, that's, that's the recruiting effect. And, you know, the more ignorant they are, the more they don't know that they're ignorant. And yes. I mean, you know, all the religions tell us the wise person is the one who realizes that he or she is not wise. But you know, this still sells this smug certainty, right? This, this, this. Oh yeah. This well, the antichrist certainty that you know—that's the essence of fundamentalism. I mean, that's religious fundamentalism. Is that like? It doesn't matter if I don't know the facts because I'm on the side of the one true God. And if you're Jesus of, trusts me, and I trust Jesus, and that's the way it is. Or Allah, if you if you or will. Or Allah, like, yeah. Like all, all the religious fundamentalists, they have the same things in common, I find, from, from my, my tussles with all of them. Um, it, it doesn't even matter the religion. You can be fundamentalist, Jewish, Hindu, Christian. Uh, they believe that um, uh, women are second-class citizens. The more conservative your religion is, yes. the, more, you know, the weaker sex. Uh, uh, being gay is a sin. The more conservative your religion, doesn't matter which one. Uh, sex in general is icky. Yeah. More, okay. Um, unless I, un, unless they're doing it with somebody they shouldn't in places they shouldn't underneath covers where you know no one can see. Oh, but that's not what they preach. What they preach oh. is what I'm talking about. But you know, uh, I will. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Oh, violence is okay if my side does it. Again, the more conservative your religion is, doesn't matter the religion. And um, other religions are okay, but I know I have the Mine one is the right one. And then there's also a penchant for victimhood all the time. But that's like its own religion, fundamentalism. You know, I have this fight with Bill Maher all the time because he's, you know, says religion's responsible for all the war and oppression of women. And I'm like, no, it's not religion. The overwhelming majority 
of moderate and liberal Christians, Jews, and Muslims are getting along just fine right now. They don't get the clicks. It is those hopeless romantics, the far extreme right assholes of all the religions that make life so interesting for the rest of us. So and I would get in practice in our country every day. I'm on the side of God, so it doesn't matter that I haven't actually read his book. Or I know what God stands for. I just say that I'm, that's the six flags over Jesus mentality. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and that way it's so simple because if anyone opposes you, they're on the side of Satan. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit down and negotiate school curriculum or what goes in a textbook or what marriage is with an agent of Satan. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why I prefer to, you know, use the Bible. I, I grew up watching TV and you would see the, the atheist or the people screaming at women outside clinics. And those were the two positions you were, you were offered, right-wing Jerry Falwell or non-believer. And boy, man, the death threats I get from these believers, because I've read their oh, book and they haven't. They've get, most of my death threats have come from people who say they are serious Christians sure. and that I deserve to die yeah. uh, because I'm not. The calls I get from people who think that women who terminate pregnancies should get the death penalty. I mean, Brian, yes, but it, these yeah, pro-lifers it, will freaking kill us. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and on that wonderful thought, let's take a break and we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, JATQ listeners. We deeply appreciate your listenership and the audience we've been able to cultivate while producing this podcast. Thanks to all of your support, we've been able to ramp things up and create even more content for you to enjoy. Through our Patreon page, there are lots of new and exciting things to check out. Due to the way Patreon is set up, it's entirely up to you, the listener, to decide what that content is worth. The podcast episodes will always be free. But if you want to gain access to our weekly newsletter, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, and much, much more, you'll want to head over to patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. That's patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question, and with this is... Father John Fugelsang, who's uh, <laughs> oh no, my God! <laughs> you know there was a the funny. I, I'm sure you've probably heard it, but there's a funny anecdote attributed to John Kennedy, the first you know John F. Kennedy, our first Catholic president. And one day, his uh, uh, secretary Evelyn Lincoln said, "Look, there's a contingency of bishops and nuns here to see you." And he said, "Make the bishops wait. They all vote Republican anyway." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> he was right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, I mean, my, my, uh, I come from a weird Christian background. My father was a Franciscan brother who uh, wore the rope belt and the robes and walked amongst the people like the lost Jedi of Flatbush. And my mom was a nun from the segregated South. And she joined the convent after high school. They put her into nursing school and then sent her off to work first with lepers and then in a jungle hospital in Malawi, Africa. So wow. I, I grew up around a lot of clergy and a lot of ex-clergy. And, you know, some of the best people I know, I've ever known, have been religious. And some of the most twisted, dark, lost souls I've ever known has been that way as well. I, that, that's true. And, that, you know, <clears throat> I, I remember my, my, here's my one priest story from being an altar boy. We were, was, um, 
when we were young, there was a, a Irish priest, good Irish priest. And if you were an altar boy on Sunday, you wanted his noon mass because <laughs> he got out of there quick because it was a sports day and he wanted to watch basketball, Louisville basketball or Kentucky basketball or football. So his homilies were notoriously short. And one day he walked in and he says, I, as we saw in the gospel today, Jesus is a fine lad. And so were all the saints now on with it. And, that was it. Yeah. and you're going as, and as an altar boy, you're going bet I'm out of here. And bet. so at the end of the day, I'm, you know, we're mass is done. We're cleaning up and in walks and I'll never forget Bobby Jones. Who, and he goes, father, uh, you got to talk to your, you, this, you're not taking care of your flock. This was horrible. You were in here and you're out of here. And he goes, Hey, Bobby Jones, what is it you do for a living lad? goes well you know i'm a tax attorney i i do and you live on that big house down the street don't you he goes yeah and he goes and how many children have you he goes well you know i have six kids because you know you were there i and you're married you make good money and he goes well yeah he says well i'll tell you what bobby my lad he says i've given up wine women and song for me faith what have you given up you keep your pecker in your pants and let me worry about the flock and (laughs) (laughs) and i started laughing right and the guy left and the father looked at me he says Boyo, he says, you can be absolutely right about a ting at the absolute wrong time. And I go, yeah, whatever. And then the next day I'm taking piano lessons from Sister Mary Elizabeth, who's frustrated beyond belief for a variety of reasons. And I can't keep time with a metronome. No matter how hard I try, I can't do it. And she wrapped me across the wrist with a ruler. And I said, God damn it. This is why they ought to let you people get laid. And so... I think her slap started in Florida, gained in, you know, acceleration through the Carolinas. And by the time it hit me across the mouth, man, I was, I was done. And I heard this laughing and the nun went out a few minutes later, the priest, same priest as the day before stuck his head back in. He says, Boyo, remember what I told you, you can be absolutely right about a ting at the absolute wrong time. And I I was like, got it. And that was one of the things I learned was you know discretion <laughs> but the right. worst thing you ever saw in those masses with where they were teaching brotherly love and then they go out in the parking lot to leave and beat the shit out of each other trying to get out of the parking lot first oh, yeah, no. yeah 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 uh, or, or the worst thing i ever saw in the masses is how children are trained to discuss how unworthy they are you know, I mean, I yeah. confess to you, Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own faults, and my thoughts I have sinned, and my words I have sinned, and what I have done and what I have failed to do. I mean, we—I am not worthy to receive you. You know, it's just this. Say the word, and I shall be healed. Yeah, it's this systemic programming of your own unworthiness, and that's how you control the population, and that—that'll keep people in line for a couple of millennia until electricity and TV come along. But it's one of the reasons why, you know, religion is on the wane. People say that the largest growing demographic religiously in this country are Mormons. I think the largest growing demographic are people who were raised religious and now consider themselves spiritual because they're turned off to the hypocrisies of of organized religion. And and that's okay. As long as people are nice, you know, I I kind of feel as long as you're operating from a place of love and compassion and forgiveness and empathy, uh, great. I, I, I've seen as much evidence that religion teaches you to be unkind as I have that it teaches you to be kind. And, you know, that that duality is in all of us. So I, I think religion can have a revival, but it's only going to come back if it actually reflects the, the teachings of Jesus more and not the hangups of dead guys and not not this homophobia, which is not supported by scripture or anti-birth control or, or anti-masturbation or, you know, 
uh, all this other stuff that, that doesn't exist in the Bible. So it's like, I, and I get in a lot of trouble, but when I, when I, my mom never let me talk about my past or my, my parents' past. And then I moved to LA to, to work on a TV show and I was doing Bill Maher a lot. And they would have, and, and they wound up having me on to debate Jerry Falwell and having me on to debate David Duke. And, and finally, my mom gave me permission to talk about my past and it opened up a big, a big floodgate of like, you know, okay, how can I do this as a comic? How can I talk about, about, about religion and hypocrisy and fundamentalism? Have enough dick jokes to make it entertaining for the flock. And uh, so, wait a minute, dick jokes with priests or without priests? Oh, you know, it, it, whatever. I don't discriminate. You know, I, I never you get, had... you get farther with love and the truth and a dick joke than just love and the truth. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I had a date like that once. No one are not going there. Uh, so, well, look, look, while we're here, I, I have to do this. I, I'm going to shift gears because you and I have. Uh, something in common um, that we have to talk about, and that is uh, musically uh, the Beatles yeah. and, a, and a love for the Beatles. And um, I, I want to start with, you've met three of them, correct? Yes. Tell me about your, you've met them all but John then, I take it, or did you meet John? Yeah, I know. No, I was only a kid when John, I, was, they, I, I wasn't born until after they broke up. And, um, you know, uh, although John is the only one who follows me on Twitter, which is a bit <laughs> odd. Uh, he follows me on Twitter, too. I tell Frank Zappa followed me on Twitter yesterday. I'm like, I think you've been gone for 25 years. But that's pretty hip, Zapp. Um, You know, I... I yeah, the I, mothers I, of invention are a little slow. <laughs> I, I came to it late, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't know why. It, it, and as a teenager in the 80s, that was the music that spoke to me. And, and I, I, I'm one of those guys who, like, thinks you know you can't be a real Beatle fan unless you understand that the solo careers are also part of the fandom yes I actually think the Beatles invented the concept of a solo career and uh I mean maybe Diana Ross but um you know for me it was very very spiritual I think a lot of us can learn a lot about humanity by studying these four young men and their personalities and their love all of them made all of them including Mr. Starkey made really good music. All of them made really oh, yeah. bad music. All of them uh, mm -hmm. have done great things. All of them have screwed up in public uh, in all too public ways. Um, so my first broadcasting job was for VH1. They hired me to be the, the, the comic, but I wound up being the classic rock nerd. Wow. And so uh, George was my favorite. George was someone who, uh, well, the first, the first album I got into, the first solo album I got into was Cloud Nine. Again, I was ah. young, I was late to this, but 87, Got My Mind Set On You was unescapable from the radio. Yeah. And it was a superb, perfect pop song. Jeff Lynn is just, when Jeff Lynn gets it right, he gets it so right. Traveling and, Wilburys. Yeah, yeah. And Tom, all those Tom Petty albums. Jeff, yeah. Lynn, Jeff Lynn wrote, I Won't Back Down with Tom Petty. Yeah. And he, you know, um, they, and, and Which was uh, a song that was popular when I went to jail for the First Amendment. So I've always had a I've always had a, an affinity for that song. But go that's ahead. my favorite Tom Petty album too. Yeah. Um, and, and Jeff Lynne produced Tom Petty's last solo album, uh, um, uh, Full uh, uh, Highway Companion, which is really underrated. And so McCartney picked me to interview him at a special in London at Bishopsgate, uh, a live town hall we were doing. And so I was getting ready to go. And I'll never forget, I was buying like McCartney records at Sam Goody when that was a thing. And I got a call saying, we need you to go to London a day later. I'm like, oh no, I've never been before. I was young and, 
and, and I was like, why have I got to stay here? They said, we need you to stay an extra day in New York for George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. Now, George Harrison was the Beatle who first got me into it. You know, like Cloud Nine was as big to me as Sgt. Pepper as a kid. Um, I think I got into Cloud Nine before I got into Sgt. Pepper. That was one of my wow. gateway drugs into being a Beatle fanatic. Uh, and a lot of the songs on Cloud Nine are really- Beatles. Yeah, and George is talking about God. Fish on the Sand is not about love for a woman. It's about God. A lot of those songs are. Um, same with Dylan, by the way, but that's another matter. I could talk about Bob Dylan. I, I've seen Bob Dylan live enough times to end a marriage. I think I'm 61 Dylan shows. But uh, so so George had a, the album Chance of India. He produced for Ravi Shankar. And I had loved him because he was raised Catholic. And as he got further away from the church, his spirituality deepened. And I always really related to that and found it very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my father too, you know, my dad always said that when he left the religious and married my mom, that was a continuation of his faith. That was just as he was called to be a, a celibate Franciscan, he felt the same calling, calling him to leave that and, and marry my mom. And, and that meant a lot to me. I think love for my mom was my dad's true religion. So George came in with Ravi Shankar. They were going to just do a 10-minute soundbite and then leave. And I was the biggest George Harrison fanatic that ever lived. I'm sure I'm the biggest George Harrison geek that ever interviewed him. And I was the worst interviewer of all time. I could not shut up. I was making jokes about Rick Astley and the Spice Girls. I was, you know, trying to... My mission was that I was going to bully George Harrison on camera into doing another tour because he hadn't toured since the 70s. And I was going to just shame him into touring again and or putting out another album. It had been 10 years. And he, I guess he liked the rawness of it because he stayed for four hours. Wow. And then uh, one of the crew members' girlfriend had come by to visit with her guitar and we put it in his hands and he went up playing uh, four songs. He hadn't done a concert in America since the 70s. And this was the late 90s. But he, he did, uh, he did uh, uh, All Things Must Pass. He did a Wilbury song that Dylan had sung. He sang an Indian Vedic chant, Prabhuji, with Ravi Shankar on the sitar. And he did a, uh, an unreleased tune. And by the, when we began this, it was just me and George and Ravi on a set. By the time we ended, there was like hundreds of people in the room. Rick Rubin was there. The editor of Billboard was there. Wow. It, was, it was really, really a, a magical time. And um, he left and gave me the most beautiful smile and hug I'd ever had. He was so funny. You know, when he arrived, I left the makeup room and I, I went into the green room to greet him. And he just jumped to his feet and said, you must be the one wearing the makeup then. <laughs> and, and he was, uh, he was you diagnosed. George. Right. Well, I worked in my George impression a lot when I was younger. If that's not your grandfather, I've seen your grandfather. He lives in your house. Um, <laughs> he, it was, they, they made it like a 30 minute special and nobody watched it. And then he got diagnosed with cancer two oh. months later. Well, here's all right. It wound, up being, it wound up being his last public performance. And after when he got sick, they recut it to be a, an hour long special. The day he died, they aired it around the clock. Now, I was so ashamed I met my idol and been terrible. But when they aired it around the clock, I was able to forgive myself and be like, oh, I was just a kid who was so excited. And to this day, Brian, I'll have like straight guys come up to me at airports and hug me and say, that was the most spiritual thing I ever saw on TV. Because we talked wow. about God and what happens when you die and the soul, and they cut all that shit out on VH1. But when he died, they put all that back in the special. At one point, George even said, this is a bit lofty for VH1. But um, I'm always going to be grateful that I had no game, that I was so bad at my job. Well, uh, that's when you're at your best, when you're curious. I, I find, 
to me as as an interviewer um you can go in with a couple of set of ideas but honestly it's when you are engrossed in the material and are curious it's a curious mind that makes the best interviewer and even right. if you're a fan you're curious in that manner and you can bring out the best in people or in some cases the worst right. so i've got to ask you if you're a, if you're a george fan what's your favorite george song with the beatles and what's your favorite solo song that's rough um you know there's the obvious ones i i, I guess i'll say uh i'll say um it's all too much because no one... a right baby that's the uh, oh oh yes that's it if you're a beetle fan and you all right respect my brother because that's well, because maybe no one's ever going to say it but i i think because uh, it's all too much is the most underrated beetle song i and think it I, is too if they had released that song five months earlier and put it on sergeant peppers instead of the yellow submarine soundtrack yes it would be considered a classic today but as it is unless you own the yellow submarine album you've probably never heard it and it's and there's another song on that album i'll, I'll go with as well and that's hey bulldog but oh, more yeah. people have i think dave grohl made it more popular and there have been a couple of artists that have done it but those two songs on the yellow submarine album i always thought with off the white album everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey isn't that great that's like the greatest rolling stones song the beatles did yeah <laughs> you're just playing is like keith richards on on yes you know, thank you. Yeah. yeah but it's so all that, matches. yeah all right go that's ahead my most underrated one and then my favorite georgia solo song or album solo song oh wow oh lord i i don't know that's hard that's I mean, a hard I, one isn't it I guess all things must pass. I don't know, uh, but I, I think the album George Harrison is his most master underrated. of going faster. Mas yeah, yeah. It's just the eponymous album George Harrison from the late seventies. Some would call it yacht rock. Some would call it light rock. But it's such a beautiful melodic record that um, I love that record. Heard and it's really underrated. That's uh, th that may be my favorite George Harrison solo album. Um, and there's really, a lot over of all things must pass. Well. Uh, okay, underrated. All things must pass. Yeah, but I mean, but I I like like you said, it was it was an overlooked gem to me. Oh yeah, that album. Yeah, um, good stuff. But well, I, love, I, I, love, I love McCartney stuff. I love I love McCartney's solo stuff. Most of it. I thought the Egypt Station album was great. You know, and yeah. uh, and and um, you know, and it's great now. They're releasing all this stuff. The new the new Plastic Ono Band box set they put out. It yeah. sounds incredible it, it sounds like it's, it doesn't sound like a phil specter record anymore it sounds like a rock Thank band God. in a room and all the instruments are are it's been completely reproduced and it sounds like there's a band in the room with you I, i'm so excited for the uh the new george box set for the all things must pass box set coming oh, out I, I, i'll get it yeah I, I have every cutout let's see somewhere in here uh the complete uh, somewhere in all my collection in the back there i have probably 40 hours of of uh unreleased beetle stuff there was a friend of mine who was an editor on the uh, John Lennon Yoko Ono um, movie. And Yoko walked in one day and just dumped a box of tapes and said, here, you can use this. Wow. So he, he copied it all for himself. And then um, gave me a cut because he was an editor of ours at uh, America's Most Wanted. He ended up giving, you know, making copies available for Beatles fans and right it's actually how he and I bonded. Uh, nobody wanted, he was a just a gripey old editor and, and complained 
constantly and nobody wanted to be with him. And so one day I'm sitting in there editing with him in the, in the booth. And I, I noticed he had a, a Beatle pin and I said, Oh, you're a Beatle fan. He goes, yeah, what about it? And I said, well, you know, I am too. And we started talking. And after that, uh, we worked pretty well together. But <laughs> I love that stuff. I spent my twenties buying all these bootleg cassettes and TDs, and now they're all being released finally. It's I know. I released the Bob Dylan, George Harrison of Woodstock sessions as an album this year. Like it's finally come out, and there, it's, it's great. The, the the thing that you have, well, there's a couple of things that I really like. I have uh, John Lennon and Jimi Hendrix on stage uh, playing Day Tripper uh, mm -hmm. in London, which is a good. Uh, and if you haven't heard it, it's a great, great one. And then <clears throat> there's a real lengthy version. Of, I think it's a 43 minute version of, of Helter Skelter. Skelter. Yeah. And that is interesting on many. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I love all that stuff. I love uh, the, the, the George Harrison, Paul Simon collaborations on SNL. Yes. That's yes. a great one. That's never been released. There's and, and then, yeah, just the unreleased bootleg stuff as well that's out there. There's so, there's so much music they made and, and are still making. You know, uh, if, if you haven't seen Paul McCartney live, my friends, if he ever does another tour. Oh, he's yeah, great. I mean, you got to go. I, I'm, I'm still hoping that Paul will be my son's first concert. That, uh, that, you know, I, what was real, there were two bonding moments with me and my kids. One was going to a Who concert together um, and... Uh, <laughs> I was sitting in I was sitting in the seats and this is in DC and uh, the effervescent aroma of marijuana was everywhere and I'm and my son he was 10 he goes dad what's that I go well that's weed <laughs> he goes how do you know I've been smoking it since the 70s son trust wow. me that's weed so we were in a who concert <clears throat> with weed and then seeing Paul McCartney uh, uh, live was together was great yeah. Yeah, and um, those were. But I've, you know, you you got it on me. I've never met any of them. What was it like meeting Ringo? I oh, met I'm, I met Pete Best. That was, you oh, know, that, that's pretty hip. I never met Pete Best. Yeah, I met Coco, and both of John's sons have done my show, and I met Donnie Harrison, uh, and um, Mary. I've met Paul, two of Paul's kids. Mary did my show recently, um, and I worked with Paul a few times. But with Ringo, it was funny because. Uh, I didn't actually meet him per se. He, he came to do a top 10 countdown at VH1. He was hosting and I came in that day because I brought my Ringo Starr tour program from his very first ever tour with the All-Star wow. in 1989, which was uh, an amazing band. Levon Helm and Rick Danko, yes. and Dr. John, Billy Preston, Clarence Clemens, Joe Walsh, Nils Lofgren, what a band. And um, Mitch, this guy named Mitch was the producer. And I kept saying to Mitch, Mitch, all I want is to get him to sign my program. Will you please? So Ringo was there. He was doing his thing. I, I didn't get to meet him. At one point, I handed him a glass of water. And he went, thanks. So that was it. Uh, <laughs> you do good, I, Ringo. <laughs> I was talking to his managers the whole time. I'm oh, like, why God. won't he do Don't Pass Me By an Octopus's Garden live? Why won't he do the live? And they said, he tried it. It didn't work. I'm like, you make him try it again. Yeah. But uh, I, all I wanted was my program signed. It was raining. I went to the Hell's Kitchen in the rain. Um, our studio is where The Daily Show is now. And uh, Mitch, who was a friend of mine, the producer, said, okay, give me the program. I'll give it to his people. We'll get him to sign it, okay? But you, you can't do it. We'll get his people to sign it. So I gave him my program. I waited. And then eventually uh, they said he left. And I'm like, Mitch, where's my program? And it, and it turned out he, he, he left with it. My Beatle memorabilia got swiped by, by a Beatles. Beatles star. And I, I was Never like, I, 
I was like, I want it back. Yeah, I right. It back and I would like it signed, please. And Mitch was like, don't make me do that. I'm like, Mitch, you didn't have to take it, but he, he took it, Mitch. Make a phone call. Make the call. And I made this guy's life hell. I'm like, give him my program back. <laughs> and so finally, a couple of weeks later, we get the program back. They sent it back. And I opened it up, and Ringo had signed it. Uh, to Mitch. Uh, Love, Ringo. And it's worth even more to me now for that reason. <laughs> what was the first Beatle album you bought? Uh, Magical Mystery Tour. Mine too. I Magical Mystery uh, Magical Mystery Tour and uh, the White Album. <clears throat> Confession. Uh, an unwatchable film, but so many great songs on one. Oh, you, Magical you, Mystery. Yeah, it, it's an unwatchable film until you've tripped, and <laughs> then it's then it has a, a completely different maybe. perspective. Uh, maybe I kind of feel like that's that's a movie to scare kids off hallucinogens. <laughs> Well, you know what movie, there's a, a recent movie, uh, which one was it with um, that uh, Bono was in, uh, the movie with all the Beatles songs in it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Across the Universe. Across the Universe, stole it. It's like 12 years old, but yeah, it's got a reason, yeah. Yeah, yeah, recent. But they stole a scene from Magical Mystery Tour. Oh really? Yeah, remember really? Magical Mystery Tour when they all, <clears throat> all the Beatles and everybody emerges out, they emerge from the tent? Yeah. Uh, well, that's in you know. You're right. You're right. It's an homage. Yeah, I yeah. love. I like that movie. I I, I love Julie. Oh, Tamor. I love that movie. I and love Julie Taymor. I'll see anything she does. There was a great yeah. There was a great line where they asked Paul McCartney if he liked it, and and Yoko, and both of them said, "What's not to like?" Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it was. That and by was, the way, I went and saw Yoko a couple of years ago with the Plastic Ono Band in Times Square in Central Park. And I, I took I took my assistant and I kept explaining to her, uh, now this is really avant-garde. This is not going to make any sense. It's going to be really weird. Be ready, be ready. And the show was so great. And it made me realize what was avant-garde in 1965 is just artsy rock now. I mean, Bjork, Bjork exists because of Yoko. And the, it was actually a terrific show. Remember what John Lennon said when he first heard the B-52s. He said, mother, they're doing you. That's yeah. And yeah. you know, with all the yips and the yells and everything, that was all Yoko. Yeah, so um, true. And that, yeah, it, you're right. What was avant-garde then is just passe now, I guess. Let's, At least artsy rock now, you know? What was funny is the woman who uh, owned the newspaper I worked uh, for and, and ran, I ran a newspaper group for a, a number of years, a couple of uh, community newspapers. She was Yoko Ono's college roommate. Wow. And she, I, I had known her for five or six years before she dropped that knowledge on me one day. I go, what, what, who was your roommate? And she said, well, it was this little art student. She was just an art student. And, and you know, and she, you know, I, she was going to bring her boyfriend over to the house. And, and I go, wait, wait a minute, what? Stop. And it was Yoko and, and uh, her. Yeah. Yeah. She's my neighbor now. I live, I live three blocks away from her. Well, a buddy of mine, when I was at America's Most Wanted, had a, um, uh, at Lafayette and Prince Street, had a, a, a loft, and um, her art studio was underneath his, and I, that's uh, underneath his, uh, his loft, and I, that, I met her, I ran into her one day, didn't recognize her at first, uh, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was going up to uh, my buddy's, uh, Peter's house, and I, you know, opened up the door, and there she was, I said, excuse me, ma'am, and then, then I heard her voice, and I go, you're Yoko. <laughs> oh, wow. How neat. Yeah. yeah. Very cool.
Yeah, that's but and I came to the Beatles. You know, I'll I'll tell you this: the night John died, I was um, I was in college and I was a DJ, and the uh, feature album of the evening was Double Fantasy. That's amazing. And we had just played side one, turned it over to play side two. <clears throat> went to a PSA because it's a college radio station. KCOU, Columbia, Missouri, at the bottom of your FM radio dial, 88.1. And we had just, yeah, we, you have to do the FM radio DJ voice. Oh, yeah. So we had just broken for the PSA when uh, the AP alarm went off. It was a five bell alarm. I'd never heard that. You know, that was reserved for like, you know, uh, wars. Yeah. And it was that John had been shot. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And then we, I played uh, Beatle music all night, got ripped out of my mind and ended up passed out in the, uh, airport getting ready to go to New York. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a while. Well, on that fine note, we'll take another break and we'll be right back. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. We're on a Beatle hangover right now with our friend John Fugel saying he, he dropped his father moniker for the, the Beatle moniker in the last block. And, and John, I save this last block usually for something that you'd like to talk about that you haven't been able to. And so it surprised me with what you would uh, what you think is important that we're missing today in, in politics, in the world, anywhere and- in the world. Oh, I leave it open to you that we're missing today. Uh, and don't I mean, say what the world needs now is love, sweet love. You need to listen to more Leonard Cohen, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's amazing with, with uh, Joe Biden, how um, I like him so much more now than I ever did at any point in my life. Yep. Uh, I don't agree with everything, but the guy he was on this campaign, the older, breathy, frail Joe Biden, who's not the, 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 he was always kind of a prick, you know? I mean, even you watch the Anita Hill hearings. I mean, he was a prick the whole time. And sometimes that worked. He was, a, he was, he was a prick against apartheid. Go, go YouTube that clip of him talking to a uh, secretary of state Schultz about our support for the apartheid regime. And you're like, oh, I want that guy to be president. But this gentle man that he has evolved into has the potential to be the most consequential president of our lifetime. Um, but they have to get rid of the filibuster. They have to get rid of the filibuster because you can't do anything unless you get rid of this undemocratic, unconstitutional gimmick the founders never wanted. You know, the, the Constitution says the vice president will break a tie. Yeah. It says nothing about a 60 vote threshold. And I know the Republicans are going to do a lot of bad things when they get power again if there's no filibuster. But they're doing bad things now. They're going to do bad things no matter what. And well, we can bad stop actors. them from doing bad things. And we can stop them from even winning more elections if we can pass some voting rights acts. Like every election, it all comes down to if there's high turnout, they'll lose. But they are not conservative. Uh, I don't know what conservatism means anymore in 2021. It seems to mean blind obedience to a racist reality show clown and um, and owning the libs. That's pretty much yeah. it. Owning the libs and, and, and blind obedience to you know, fascism. I'll, I'll say this about 
Joe Biden, I what surprised me uh, about him, I find him to be more competent than and and far more. There's a term that we used to use presidential. He's far more presidential. Um, And I like him more than I like some of his people. I think some of his people are far too concerned about protecting him when he is far more capable of being out there than uh, even his people will admit. He proved that during the town hall meeting, but he's had very little uh, interaction with the full press, the White House press corps. And that's because of his people. So I find that problematic. Well, but ageism I, is the one res- the one acceptable ism we have left, right? I mean, yeah. liberals do it. Liberals and conservatives both are so guilty of it. I mean, liberals did it to McCain. And, you know, I know I know 40-year-olds that don't have the energy McCain had. Um, yes. You know, with Bob Dole, it was more about his evil. But, you know, uh, with, with Dole, Biden, I, yeah, uh, you know, and I don't mind that he, Biden's old and he acts like an old guy. Um, it, he's going up against, you know, much older Herbert Hoover economic ideas. So never forget that the the economic ideas he's against are a lot more decrepit than him. Yeah, I, one of the things I really liked was when he came out and said, "I, you know, I'm against trickle down," and yeah. that's, I mean, forty years of this crap, and somebody finally called it. Um, yeah, but that's, that might be his legacy. Not that he was the end of Trump; he might be the end of Reaganism, and that I, might be his great legacy. And that and that brings me right to the point. I think that it, he has the potential of going down as as one of the better presidents of my lifetime, if not the best president of my lifetime, simply because he's faced what I consider the greatest evil in the United States in the last 40 years, and that's Reaganism. And I got so much crap from, you know, I couldn't stand him from the very beginning. Yeah. And that was the first election I could uh, vote in was 1980. And if I could have voted 10 times against Ronald Reagan, I would have. You were right. And by the way, that myth has not held. Young people today aren't held in sway by the Reagan myth, and the middle-aged and old people aren't really leaning on Reagan as a saint anymore. Uh, I think you can look around and see how much his trickle-down economics actually helped the middle class. So, uh, but I, I, I would still say, though, I think, I mean, I, I still think that Bush, at least on paper, is still the worst president of my lifetime. But I don't know. I mean, you factor in the preventable deaths of COVID-19 of American citizens, and it could be. Uh, Trump, but a million dead Iraqis for a lie. If all lives matter, then I, I don't see how Bush is uh, is not the worst president. We've well, George our- W. Bush, I knew him when he was a governor in, in Texas. Um, he's the one thing that, and see, you can't judge presidents by this because it's not fair to do it, but he was more personable. In, oh, I know on, he was. One on one, you could sit and have a conversation with George Bush. And you'd have beer with him. You'd invite him to your backyard barbecue. Everyone wanted to have a beer with the guy who only drinks O'Doul's. I know. I know how likable he was. I know. I'm just going by the policies, the lies, the stuff. So um, on that alone, you may be right. But I think that jury is still out. And it was the harm, the indelible harm to the the thin veneer of American, um, you know, uh, remarkableism that, Donald Trump devastated. That's going to be hard pressed. To, I don't know what his influence. I think he is an influence for despots, fascists, and uh, monarchies across the world. And I think yeah. that they will look at Donald Trump as a as a 
uh, well, you know, he got away with this. Well, yeah, and the worst part about it is that they'll look at him and say, oh, a dumb fascist got away with this much. What everyone happened? wants to be the smart Trump. I mean, yeah. I mean, this guy in Florida thinks he's going to be the smart Trump. And in that sense, he's a, a very scary template. Yeah. Well, you think I, he's going to run again, Brian? Do you think he'll run again? Donald Trump? Yeah. Nope. I do yeah. not. I think it's a grift. I think I've, I've said this. I've spent way too much time in his presence for me to believe anything that he says about anything. Yeah. I think he's all about himself. He's all about his money. And at the end, he'll go, you know, folks. This, I, 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 I can almost hear it. You know, it's, it's a witch hunt, but I'm going to do it for the betterment of our party. And I, DeSantis is my guy. I'm, I'm the kingmaker. He's my guy. And I could. Yeah, but I'm already hearing that he's already kind of angry that DeSantis is stealing his spotlight. I mean, yes, he, some people think that Trump is sending out Christine Nome to try to deflate DeSantis a bit. You that, know, like that, he's that so petty, too. even if he doesn't want to be president he would still turn on DeSantis because he doesn't have the game to- Well, to he will turn on, I, I could see him turning on anyone and I pick DeSantis at random. I could, Donald Trump will turn on and put anyone under the bus. I have no doubts about that. I, it's all about, and I think if he's worried about DeSantis, his real worry is not that he's stealing his thunder, but that he's stealing his money. And that's, you know, if DeSantis is um, doing much better at fundraising and cutting into the the, the Donald's take, uh, there's when you're going to really have a problem. Yeah, you're right. And it's right. all about the grift. I trust okay. nothing out of this guy. He's made $75 million this year in his pack for Stop the Steal, and not a penny of that has gone towards any of these uh, recount efforts. Well, he's just living off the money he's grifting from these fans. And that's what Trump University was. That's what Trump Foundation was. You know, everyone who trusts him, bondholder or an investor or a wife, everyone who trusts this guy finds out they were wrong. Yeah, I put Michael, Michael Cohen's been on the show a couple of times. And I just did his show last week, yeah. Yeah, he is, uh, first of all, he's funny. But secondly, man, when he talks about Donald Trump, it's it's like, wow. And he's a guy who knows. And yeah. my question to him was, what was the attraction? You're a smart guy. Why would you ever find yourself in this circle? He goes, Brian, it was just... You know, it's the ability to walk into a show and get, you know, in a front row seat. It was just the, the aura of that. And he goes, after a while, it, it came back. But he didn't realize it came back to bite him in his ass until he got bit in the ass. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think Donald Trump will go down in history as one of the worst, if not the biggest grifter in American politics. I, I completely agree. Completely yeah. agree. So, yeah. final yeah. thoughts. If you're going to sit down and... and uh, play an album any beetle album which beetle oh. album would you put on first revolver Ooh, nice it's their best album it's their you, best album oh god you know i've had fights with people over that <laughs> because you're mad that it's true revolver no i'm i'm agreeing with you i i, <laughs> okay. I, I think revolver is their best album it's, yeah yeah um, I think that you if hear every phase of the Beatles, every phase of the band is in one album. You hear Mop Tops and Psychedelia in one album. And Hard Rock. And, and Hard Rock, yeah. yeah. They invent yeah. Hard Rock. You hear George Harrison becoming a brilliant songwriter. You hear Paul McCartney's musicianship off the charts. I mean, you you know, all three of them are writing, are writing at such a great peak on that record. And that's the one that bridges rubber soul to pepper. I mean, it's yeah. like that's where the whole thing blows up. Well, and I, I love, uh, 
you know, um, I can't remember who did a cover of it, but I, I just love the Lennon composition, turn off your mind, relax and float downstream. Uh, I saw, I, I saw Wilco do that with Beck, Chibo Mato and Sean Lennon on guitar and vocals opening for Bob Dylan. I saw that. Holy at moly. Yeah. Have you ever, that. have you ever listened to Phil Collins version of that? I have not. That is a killer version of that song. Um, okay, tomorrow I never I, I never did know never know we did it. Okay. Tomorrow never knows Phil Collins' version of it is great. It, I could talk Beatle covers all day. I'm such a geek. I could talk Beatles solo records all day. I could end a marriage with my Beatle crap. I'm telling you, but it's really I never get to talk about this. It's so nice. Thank you. It's, I, I'll t well, all right. I'm a little older than you because I remember. I, here's two of my earliest memories. Well, my earliest cogent memory of lifetime was when uh john kennedy was assassinated wow and i was sitting in front of a the tv set and i remember it because my mother was crying and i did not know why mom was crying but i remember i you know, everyone's seen the shot now of, of jackie walking off the airplane with blood stain on her dress well we had a black and white tv and it looked like chocolate sauce to me so I, I was going mom's crying because that woman has a chocolate stain on her dress i better not ever spill chocolate on my clothes. And that's, that's how I remember that's, uh, Kennedy's assassination. But what a memory that following February, I think it was February when, when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, my mom and dad let me stay up to watch the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Wow. And there was such an, I had never heard music like that before. I had yeah. never seen energy like that before. Uh, you know, my dad was of the age, he was a, you know, everyone was an Elvis fan and dad was a Buddy Holly fan and dad became a Beatle fan because, yeah. And, and so I was a Beatle fan and that was, uh, I mean, uh, and when their movies came out, we would go see them, uh, you know, help and hard days night and hard wow. days night and help. And then, but my, my favorite was, I, I just like the ending of, uh, of, of Yellow Submarine, the live action ending of Yellow yeah. Submarine. Catchy tune, man. Yeah. Blue Meanies. Hi, Blue Meanies have been sighted within the vicinity of this theater. How do we go out? Singing. One, two, three. Ah! And then, you know, off they go. And that, That's that my was... son's favorite movie, and he just played all together now for his uh, virtual piano recital uh, just last month. I, when I was in high school, I did that song as a, for, a, um, when I, for rehearsal and then, you know, uh, for, a, for a play that I was in, you know, to audition for the play we had to do in um, uh, a music a uh, musical number and i did all together now that was right. <laughs> one two three four can i have a little more but this, <laughs> it meant something different you know when you're an adult than when you were a kid <laughs> <laughs> well listen john it's been a lot of fun man i hope we can have you back we'll spend a whole lot of time uh, anytime you want to talk beatles man i'm in fun. We, we we covered politics and history and spirituality and a lot of music it's really awesome thank yeah. you yeah Thank you so much for being here. The show is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks. We'll catch you next time. Hey there, JATQ listeners. We deeply appreciate your listenership and the audience we've been able to cultivate while producing this podcast. Thanks to all of your support, we've been able to ramp things up and create even more content for you to enjoy. Through our Patreon page, there are lots of new and exciting things to check out. Due to the way Patreon is set up, it's entirely up to you, the listener, to decide what that content is worth. 
the podcast episodes will always be free. But if you want to gain access to our weekly newsletter, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, and much, much more, you'll want to head over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks. Have a great day.